seem to take to you real good. Hmm. I bet you're a damn good entertainer at that, aren't you? Well, I bet I am, too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Quaid in Full, the podcast with all the fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with perfectly appropriate sibling interaction, Jeb Lunt. Hello, Jeb. Hello. Oh boy. So today's topic is the night the lights went out in Georgia. But first, we have a little pod business. As we do every week, uh, we're going to check in with each other about um, whether or not either or both of us has gotten around to listening to Dennis Quaid's podcast, The Denisance. Uh, Jeb, have you made time for this in your ear hole life? You know what? I, uh, I put it on the iCal. I had a plan going into this week, and uh, unfortunately, this morning, I found out that they were going to do the whole neighborhood landscaping. They, they don't normally do it this day. And I was like, I'm going to keep it fresh in my mind. I'm going to listen to the dentist. I'm going to come in. I'm, I'm just going to like blow Sarah away with all this like contemporary Quaid content. And instead, <laughs> it is buzzing so loud out there. I mean, they're mowing down like the swamp. That's what they're doing. It's like they're, they're beating back the kudzu. And I was like, I, I got to protect my eardrums. I can't listen to the denissance over this noise and then deliver a plus material on the podcast. So we've had to postpone it for another week, but I'm pretty confident we're going to, we're going to get to it soon. I am not as confident, but my excuse for not listening to the denissance is that I literally cannot hear it over the sound of uh, ongoing construction next door to QIF HQ in Brooklyn. Uh, and then the, you know, DIY douche across the street has gotten into the act of the power washer. So there's just really a lot of buzzing in, in both spots is what we're saying. So we would listen to the Denisons, but it, it just can't compete. As you're listening to this, if you hear rolling hums, buzzes, or relentless pounding, that you're listening to the impediment between us and 21st century Quaid. <laughs> I have a that's what she said sound drop and I should really should really <laughs> drop that in here but yeah I mean relentless pounding that's our episode ladies and germs um no five out of five yeah yeah look we got relentless pounding in there uh what could be bad um I'll tell you what can be bad this movie this movie is bad all the things about it are bad Christy McNichol singing is bad let me summarize via imdb the sort of bad that should you put hands to this movie which it's very difficult to do p.s the sort of bad that you might be looking forward to quote country singer travis dennis quaid and his younger sister amanda christy mcnichol travel to nashville tennessee to find fame as singers after getting into trouble with the law travis is sentenced to work detail at a prison farm Amanda ends up falling in love with a police officer, Conrad, Mark Hamill, who tries to help Travis out. End quote. I mean, yeah. I feel like the prison farm thing might have been in a like first draft of the script that we didn't really see that much of. You know, it's a slow-paced movie, but it's not as slow as to suggest to me that there are 48 hours in a day, so you can go do like a full eight-hour like prison detail shift and then bartend like there's yeah. not that many hours in the day <laughs> no well <laughs> i was about to say everything's bigger in texas but they're they're not in texas 
They're in Tennessee. No, they're in Georgia. Much so we're back to uh, the, the, a lot of this was shot in Georgia. I think this is like they wind up fleeing down to you know a county in Georgia. So this we're back at the first episode of this season again. Yeah, nothing but oh, Georgia. Yeah. I think we hear the song in the beginning of the movie, but that's like literally the only relationship that the movie has to the song is that the song is in it at some point. I think that is one of those story songs like Harper Valley PTA, where it's like, you know, this would be like making a movie starring Valerie Harper, calling it Harper Valley PTA, and then having it be about, I don't even know. Yeah, or like making a movie called Billy Joe McAllister, and it's not a horror film about a guy coming back to life after jumping off the Tallahatchie Bridge. Oh, yeah. Was his name McAllister? Yeah, Billy Joe McAllister. Jesus. I actually covered this song on Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs, but it was so long ago. <laughs> well, see, it's, it is buried bone deep in my memory from the Time Life story songs collection because on oh. cable it was it would be this and then it would like it would be some like really peppy song and it would cut right to Staff Sergeant Barry Sadler doing the Ballad of the Green Berets. <laughs> wow. Wait, that was considered a story song? Story songs, yeah. Uh, I mean, Convoy was in there. Uh, uh, let's see what in 1814 we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. I mean, just all of them are there, hardwired forever. <laughs> was um, was Old Red in there? Red Sovine? No, no, uh, Old know. Red. I think it's a George Jones song. It's a story song, I think, sung from the um, point of view of both a guy who who breaks out of prison and the bloodhound who has to track him every time like this guy's broken out of like whatever every prison in kentucky <laughs> and this this bloodhound all red is like not this time motherfucker uh no okay um yeah, you you can tell how much we're really excited to talk about the movie i think <laughs> we are the contemporary reviews might shed some light on um why we're talking about like uh, record collections that were for sale on tv in our youth cod Here's TV Guide summary, quote, Ho-Hum Country Music Saga stars Quaid as an aspiring single, singer and McNichol as his pesky, ambitious younger sister who drags him kicking and screaming for what seems interminably longer than 110 minutes to fame and fortune in Nashville. Just for the record, the film has nothing whatsoever to do with the song on which it was supposed to be based. <laughs> and quote, sometimes these TV Guide summaries are like, they never have an author name on it. And it's like, oh man, like this is just giving whoever it is permission to fling the zingers. And I'm here for it. It's like when you find the the bio detail on the back of a baseball card and you're like, I'm not sure that's flattering. Yeah. <laughs> like who picked that one? And do they not <laughs> like this guy? Okay. <laughs> has, tr has tried and failed 14 times to recreate the egg eating scene in Cool Hand Luke. Like why would you <laughs> put that on there? Yep. <laughs> no, not a real card, but I bet that has happened. I bet minor leaguers have tried to do that, and I bet it was really revolting. I don't know if they have the money for that many eggs. I mean, they're in the minors, but like I could see that as like a rain delay clubhouse thing from somebody who already pitched. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, God. Ugh. Or some bet where they got it, the eggs they have to eat are the um, magenta pickled ones. Oh, no, the bar eggs. No way. I mean... Has have you ever witnessed anyone eat and eat one of those eggs? No, to me they're like I I feel like they're just sort of like the bar's equivalent of a lava lamp. You know, you're just it's like a bunch of globules in 
in unnatural colors bobbing and, and it's atmosphere. I've never seen it happen and I'm just wondering if it ever does. Um, it, yeah, it has to. Okay. There's, gotta, <laughs> there's, there's somebody who's drunk enough. Who's like, you know what? I don't want to stop on the way home. <laughs> that, that's too many ways I could potentially get pulled over for my drunk driving. I'm just going to have an egg here and go straight to bed. <laughs> or have this egg here th- throw up many times in the parking lot, be sober and drive home. Yeah, boot and rally. Yes. Did you oh, Did you rally. see the Judith Martin Wapo review of this, the contemporary one? I must have. The last two paragraphs are just relentless, but I don't think they're unfair in how seriously they approach the movie. I mean, it really comes down to how well it played with you kind of like tonally, but uh, Judith Martin in the Washington Post wrote In this film, the sister's attachment to her brother is so overplayed that it begins to look like unrequited incest. Why such characters as Mark Hamill, playing a starry-eyed state trooper, should consider it a privilege to devote themselves to the pair is not shown, and their confidence of national success is left dubious. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have two major problems with the film, and they're incestuously connected to one another. And one of them is that this is not how opposite-sex siblings talk to each other, interact with each other like am i from a family so waspy that you could call the house i grew up in the hive yes but we weren't against like hugging or touching each other ever but i mean (laughs) like social distancing protocols aside my brother and i would never be like chucking each other on the chin or holding on to like i would never hold on to his lapels or there's just canoodling that's happening. And it's like, why? Why? And then she gets so mad. Amanda gets so mad at him for being a horn dog, basically. And it's like, what the fuck do you care? He's not yeah. going to give you the clap. Who gives, a sh- who gives a shit? I might give a shit if we were always running late because he was in some, <laughs> some lady's hotel room. But it's like, g- girl, chill out. I like that you added the apostrophe S and hotel room there, because I could tell you were going for it early, and you're like, you know what? No, we'll, we'll switch it. We'll switch <laughs> oh, it from person to place. I, I know. Let's. I, I just gotta, you know, save something. There are bits where he's really tender with her, and it's winning. And there are bits where, you know, she seems very fond and protective of him, and it's very winning. And just when you start to feel like, okay, they got that weird vibe out of their system, and they're gonna settle down and be siblings there'll just be some others screaming like no that's flirting that's not sibling that's flirting and then then you think okay well they got it out of their system and then we get to the penultimate scene of the movie basically and she's going so am i sexy yeah i can't imagine ever asking a blood relative like can you how fuckable am i just be honest no god no there's also a sort of it's not even a sing-off scene because the sort of um, emotional conflict in the movie is that he's like the really talented one, but he doesn't care. Like he doesn't have that ambition and she does. And the movie would like us to believe that she's an extremely um, talented singer and songwriter. This was actually a later clip, but I'm just going to play it now because once you hear Amanda it's like that part of um, 
punchline or like Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Like if it's not actually good, don't don't show it. And you have to wonder how hard Quaid or McNichol insisted on being allowed to sing and why McNichol's loved ones didn't stop this from happening because it's really not good. Here's clip five. Buckle up. I don't mean to be I mean, that's Roof. Um, and in addition, he's just been playing, and I, I got so bored that I forgot exactly why she got pissed off this time. But she goes into their, like, truck of endless outfit changes and appears in the, what looks to me like a fuck you plunging halter. This character is supposed to be 16, P.S. Right. Gets up on stage in a roadhouse and we are to believe like burns the place to the ground figuratively with this um, like ragey performance, which is bad and inappropriate. And the whole movie just keeps bringing us back to this point where it's like, this is not how siblings interact with each other. And even if it were, you're a minor and presumably he has some kind of wardship over you like why why are you drunk in a diner at 11 in the morning 16 year olds i didn't even know when she got drunk i mean that's right at the beginning of the movie i hadn't even started to zone out mentally and have to backtrack it was like where huh when did that happen and then they're both drunk and this is after the following exchange in which Dennis Quaid, who somehow isn't doing a convincing accent, what? You're from Texas, has to just vom up all this exposition that is not how anyone talks about anything, never mind how siblings talk to each other. So here's clip two. What the hell are you talking about? This thing ain't been loaded anyway since old daddy blew himself to Jesus with it. You're crazier than I am, you know that? Yeah, well, the past six months traveling with you into hard times and bad habits, I'm getting warped. Why don't we just write about you them good songs and make ourselves a record deal in Nashville? We gotta live some of it to write about it, you know. When some living comes along, you gotta reach out and just grab it. Grab ass, that's all you know. You grabbed every ass from Georgia to Texas. Cool. It's expository. I don't think it's is clunky as you do uh, maybe just because I like all of the dialogue is kind of on that level so it normalizes well, for me yeah I mean no. scenes like that the thing I took away from that is like in all caps in my notes because it boomerangs it comes back in the uh, plot like she winds up pulling this gun out and going shooting with Mark Hamill and just in all caps does nobody in this movie think it's weird that they're carrying around the gun their father blew his brains out with yeah. like maybe this isn't doesn't need to be an heirloom Maybe you could go to the pawn shop and see if you can get a different gun, especially if you're going to have the girl carry it. Maybe you could get a gun that delivers less firepower and has less recoil. Yeah. So good. Nice, dainty little pearl handled pea shooter. 
it just was like, do, do children whose whose parent took took his own life actually say blew their brains out? Like, I ooh, okay, he you know it's morning, he's drunk and grouchy, but still, just you're right though that all the dialogue is pretty much on that level. Um, I never quite got used to it, and that's early enough in the movie that exchange that I just marked it. Cause I was like, Oh boy, like we're four minutes in. This is, this is going to be tough. Occasionally though, there is an exchange that kind of gets at the heart of what's going on with them efficiently, if not totally elegantly. So I pulled a clip of that and clip three. You could be really big. But anything that distracts you, off you go. Booze, women. Hey, look, just don't worry about me, all right? I may not be a big brain like you, but I'm tricky. Tricky. That was a <laughs> that is like Urquade delivery. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll get back to that conversation later. I mean, this movie just is never going to age well because, in my opinion, it comes from a time where a the culture seemed really preoccupied with like southern flavored rapscallions so like um cannonball run um dukes of hazard bandit i just gator yeah i just feel like there was a lot more of that kind of completely unbraided from any politics or like boohooing into sleeves about the war of northern aggression or any of that it was just like hillbillies seem to have a good time and look at these neat old vintage trucks like well all right whatever america you're you're weird <laughs> like if it's this or the hula hoop i guess i get it but all right no i think i think you're right i think this comes from the same sort of batch of cultural nostalgia or look at this overlooked cultural value that maybe green lights something like the first episode we did together for the long riders where yeah. you've got this rehabilitation of of southern culture and that's you know i said it in the first episode that is to some extent a backlash against the civil rights movement of like hey you've depicted us as this and no we're not just that we've got all this other stuff and that's where you get the kind of like you know, yeah, there might be repressive police out there with, you know, beating people with rubber hoses and, and turning the water on them and driving them off a bridge. But there are also these moonshine folk. Yes. You know? and, and their hats. To be honest, like when you first said, like, this seemed to be come from a culture where they valued and you paused. I was like, Brooke Shields, like teen sex. Is that where it's going? I mean, the insistence on making her 16 is really strange yeah that too i mean christy mcnichol is a strange case but that was going to be my point b is that this is from the time when christy mcnichol was you know had a lot of currency culturally i didn't get it then i don't get it now i think it was something very of its time that does not travel this like freckly tomboy that could play 13 and could play 23 and should not have been playing 16 particularly not when her love interest is a fucking peace officer who is not supposed to be fucking her because she's 16 like well, i know they're in peace georgia, officer in georgia. <laughs> what was that uh, we both went for the same georgia joke at the same time <laughs> 
Uh, Eastern elites, ladies and germs. <clears throat> the whole Christy McNichol thing, like, it just doesn't work, I, I think. And then you're spending so much of the film with her bratty, um, like her sort of thwarted desires and inability to control her own destiny, which could be relatable, especially like there's a there's some old sequence in uh, I think the Bill James historical abstract. Stay with me. I'm going to bring it back. Trust me. Oh, um, I think I know what that is. But go on. Okay. Okay. Where he's where? Oh, and here's the dog barking. Why not? You see why we can't get through the Denisons? There's a dog next door who won't stop barking and telling me not to listen to the Denisons. I, well, seriously, <laughs> look. <laughs> let's let's listen to our companion animals. People, they have they have much to teach us. Here's the point. He was talking about the um, Alu family, I think, and talking about, um, or maybe it wasn't the Alus, but talking about like um, brothers in baseball and how like the really talented younger ones, like not as much, they don't do as much with their talent because they're just like they're hanging out with the older kids and they're not driven in the way that the slightly less talented but extremely ambitious and type a older siblings sometimes are and like i don't think that's a bad i mean everybody sees this dynamic in different ways in their own families like i don't think this is a bad thing to explore but mcnichol only really has like two or two and a half emotional lanes that she can be in and she's perfectly attractive but she does not read sensually to me at all like you are seeing most of her torso in that outfit and it's like i had nothing i had nothing for you on that maybe you had a different reaction but yeah i just the mcnichol thing is like we, we don't have that <laughs> we don't have that vocabulary here in 2020 to understand why She's anchoring this movie. But there are always actresses like that. Like, why is it that Julia Ormond for four years is in everything? Or like, why does everybody like Tyne Daly? I don't get it. You know, uh, for me, though, with her, it was... I'll, I'll like, fight you on Tyne Daly, but Ormond, you're absolutely <laughs> right. The way that they, they, you know, did her hair and dressed her and the way she's delivering this is way younger and and really kind of like deracinated from anything sexual the fact which makes mark hamill reacting to her sexually read not as tender but as like you know just a deeply unsettling because she isn't throwing off that vibe so why are you into it man also she is styled enough like him like this is just that time i think but like they have kind of that same like semi-feathered haircut that people with straight hair had at that time myself yeah. included and it's like i don't i mean he actually looks pretty cute he's he's a pretty relatable character except that his adult duck is printing on this baby beach ball for reasons that as that <laughs> um was it washington post review said like what why is that happening it's not explained really on screen yeah, I don't know. My reactions to this movie are almost all like bullet point questions. And we've kind of, you know, abutted several of them, like the singing on her own or, or on their own. It feels like a lot of decisions about this movie were made 
independent of the other decisions and everybody involved said, well, we can't reverse any of these. Like you went ahead and decided this without me and that's fine. And I can't stop that. So <laughs> rather than casting somebody, like it seems like they cast Christy McNichol and somebody else in the production said, by the way, all the actors are going to sing their own songs rather than saying, you know what? All the actors are going to sing their own songs and we're going to go find somebody. Yeah. Also, Let's pick somebody who is an it, an it person. You know, she's winning Emmys for her TV work for playing younger. Let's see if that translates. And like as somebody who reviews a lot of Hallmark movies, like getting the young child stars to do adult work, it doesn't translate. Most of the time it just no. doesn't like they have to be they're so used to being too big. And so I think here, too, like she's playing it at what she thinks is a naturalistic tone for being like a kid on TV. And instead, like the brattiness is cranked to 11 in some of these scenes it stops being tomboyish and precocious and it becomes like hounding and irksome and it makes you wonder you know like why is this why are these two people permanently orbiting each other why didn't he just drop her at some school yeah (laughs) yeah there are also like repeated extended like you don't get snippets of the songs you you pretty much get the whole song um I will play a snippet of Quaid's um, balladry a little later. But yeah, this movie, I think you make a really good point that it it did seem like assembled by a committee that was not interacting with each other and also felt that there was no way out of any of these decisions except through them with the result that it really is an interminable 110 minutes there's so many places that you could cut it down, but that wouldn't help. Like the only, the only real answer is to not watch the movie. And like I said, it is quite difficult to put hands to. So listeners, I don't, I don't think you're going to have to work too hard to avoid it. Do you have any closing remarks on the movie slash McNichol generally, or shall we um, rate this cow pie? I do have a, a couple of just quick things that you might find interesting or not. One thing is they definitely overproduce the vocals, so it, it kind of heightens the, like, I'm watching lip syncing. Like, you can just hear how studioified the vocals are, and that's just an error, right? Like, you can dirty them up to make them sound more live, even if you're doing take after take and assembling the song almost line by line from the best line readings that the actor had, one. Um, the other thing, actually, I, I meant to say to the, uh, the other one that seemed to be a, a decision made by two different people who didn't know what the other was doing was the, uh, the fact that she's going to fall in love with a cop and be 16. Like all you had to do was just say, yeah. she's 19, you know, and she's sticking with him because she doesn't know how to do anything else. She refuses to go to college. She's hitching her wagon to him, whatever. I mean, there's a lot that you could do to justify it. Also, I liked the fact that this was a really accurate depiction of a law enforcement officer. Um, like, so he's, uh, he's, he's inexplicably violent at all times. Uh Everyone know he's knows he's violent, but he can't be taken out of his job. He believes that he has a right to other people's bodies, even after they declare that they are autonomous from him. He is finally stopped for a little while by the collective shaming of the entire community to which he responds by committing a murder. Oh, yeah. Like, we sh- we well should done. specify this is not Mark Hamill's character. Right. Yes, Mark Hamill's the other side of typical policing, which is inept, but willing to put up with the downsides of the job, ergo 
not asked for not asked to be better than he is and then my last one and you might really enjoy this because this does pertain to another enthusiasm of yours when she first goes into the roadhouse that travis winds up bartending at when he's he's doing his work detail when she first walks in on the radio you can hear the play-by-play of a game Uh from the 1981 nashville sounds a yankees double a affiliate where the man at the plate is a young buck showalter (laughs) And this is a real play-by-play. This is a real game. I went and, and looked it up. But huh. that season, Bucky, here's Bucky's slash line for that season, 264, 363, 358. <laughs> you, it's, it, is very, it is very difficult to overstate this. If, if you're not a baseball fan listening, that last number is slugging. It's a measure of power. The middle number is the number of times he gets on base. You never want your slugging number to be lower than your on-base number. And it's very, very difficult to do that. Yeah, it's, it is really hard. That season, he only had 23 extra base hits in 360 at-bats. Not yeah. good. So it's safe to say that Bucky, he didn't crush that one. <laughs> Yikes. Well, that, that is impressive uh, research. Thank you. I had to do it, Buncey. I give that a 10. I give this movie a 1. Really? Yeah, hated it. I see. I was down. It's not. It's not straight mediocre. It's a little less than that. But I was around about a four on it. Wow. Just because really? I think, I think Quaid here is is he's starting to make the leap, and we'll get to that in the next section. He's starting to make the leap. I think there. Mark Hamill was actually way more nuanced in most of it. Like there's a like the end is embarrassing for his character and and also for him like just give him something more challenging to do than that it was embarrassing for me like knowing that i witnessed it i was actually a little embarrassed uh really the only person who i think you know kind of as in terms of performance doesn't really have it is uh the late sunny johnson who plays uh travis's love interest and i think that also might be she also might be a victim of direction because like they're really sort of sensual post-coital moment in bed is shot in just about the most unflattering way possible and i i just sort of feel like anytime you see a director hand handling his uh his women stars that way he's probably also not listening to like how they want to take a line yeah and she plays so mousy not to bring up hallmark again i'm not trying to like plug shit but like she's almost like a hallmark heroine because she's afraid of everything and i get that like if you are trapped in a relationship with an abusive law enforcement officer whom nobody can stop, yes, you will probably be terrified. But like it's down to just being shy of like noise almost. Uh, well, but everybody else like, sorry, go on. Oh, no. Uh, sorry to interrupt. The performance reminded me and I couldn't quite articulate this until until you said the word mousy. And I'm not sure why that set me off. But um, whoever was Pacino's love interest in Serpico. It it played the same way. And partly it was like the line deliveries of an actor who the director does not care about because the star's charisma has flashed out everything in range. And you could say that that's what's happening here with Quaid. I mean, you do see his ass and I am not unhappy about it, but... Some directors are like, you are here to show your press and I'm not interested in you're wanting another take. So, but yeah, she's not good. And Barry Corbin gets one line. What are you doing, movie? (laughs) It's 
It's a good thing I'm really mad about this. That's an excellent use of my time and energy. Still a one. You really gave Fair me enough. a four? I, well, you know, I gave everything else like three. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like gun shy about giving the same rating. But Are it you drunk? I mean, it, it didn't seem that unpleasant to me. I mean, like if you take out, obviously there are some things that to a contemporary mindset are like hugely problematic and I do not enjoy at all. But as a kind of like weirdly like rural slice of life, like people finding a weird home somewhere and... I don't know. I mean, like it tried. It tried to be funny in in some it, like and failed too often. But like it was trying. I don't know. I like I've got such Stockholm syndrome again with the Hallmark shit. Like that any effort makes me go like, well, hey, <laughs> you y'all went to school, didn't you? You know, like I don't know. Like, oh, you shooting outside an aristocrat. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, look, we we all bring our our own baggage into this piled high in the back of a 1958 whatever that pickup was so four it is shall we talk about quaid qua quaid absolutely all right may i begin this segment of the discussion with a snippet of his slow tempo jam if you don't know by doesn't seem like the kind of joint where they're uh, particularly eager to slow dance i think there are at least three fights in this place in like one evening maybe that's what it did what did it for me with the rating i was like this movie is violent <laughs> i uh, <laughs> in like a contemporary way i can understand <laughs> but what do we think of his uh tuneful stylings entirely passable i yeah that's pretty I, much I mean, where i was it's the same thing with McNichol. I kind of feel like they were like, well, we want Dennis Quaid and we'll figure it out in the mix. Yeah, and they didn't. But he is singing a lot in this movie and I would love to see his um, contract or what his agent negotiated in that regard or what the audition process was like, which, you know, which came first, the chicken fried steak or the egg. But he's... Fine. He is, I think, actually exactly what you would expect to find in in a roadhouse like that. Like, inoffensive. He can hand it a bucket. He can put the tune in it and convey it from one end of the stage to the other, which is more than I could say. Google it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he. it's just not interesting. Like, there's, in any story like this where you're you're being told repeatedly what a big talent the person is like you you have to sort of handle that very carefully and not show us so much that it's like well it's it's not that he's a it's not that he's a d it's that we've been told he's a a plus and he's actually more like a b so yeah that part of it is fine his accent is kind of rocketing all over the bluegrass region in the beginning for some reason but it settles down and he's this is i think the closest that we've come to that core quaintiness mm-hmm. so far so what's your number where are you at i'm really curious about this because uh, like, i went all over I'm gonna the map. make you go first 
I had it as a six. Uh, yeah, that's about right. I had it as a five. He's not quite in control of like the quadiosity as an instrument yet, but uh-huh. there are like that moment where he appears in the doorway when Melody is inside and you know that her cop ex has just stalked off and yeah. just the framing in the doorway and he looks up and there's just and it's something that he delivers at like probably like a nine or a ten rate in the big easy uh-huh. if memory serves but you can see it's like the the kind of the burgeoning of that ability there even if the rest of it is like a star is born was shot in vernon florida yeah <laughs> Now I really want to like hunt down a clip of that guy from the movie Vernon, Florida to like his rendition of what a turkey shooting blunderbuss sounds like (laughs) and just drop that in in place of the Christy McNichol clip because it's a it's a lot more pleasant and melodic. Um, (laughs) Well, shit. The kicker outro can just be him going like, I hear him out there. He a goblin. I had an ex-boyfriend who was like obsessed with this movie. And every now and then he would just say lines to it from him, from it to himself and laugh like while making spaghetti sauce. I was like, oh, I'm glad you're happy. I've been through Vernon like a handful of times every time after seeing that documentary. And it is... You, you want to say like, well, you can feel it. Like there, like when people are like, there's an energy you can feel at the pyramids. Like, no, you can't. But like, it, <laughs> you go through and you're like, yep. <laughs> That's all I could say. Just very much like, yep. Uh, cut to Leonard Nimoy in a denim bell-bottom jumpsuit, <laughs> stepping out from between some rows of corn. Like, some people say there's an energy in Vernon, Florida. Oh, my God. Where, where are we? <laughs> Hey, Spock, what do you want in your hot dog? Surprise me. Yeah, I'm glad we're turning the lights out on uh, on this dog, but uh, the, the Quaid levels are increasing. Unfortunately, next time on Quaid in Full, they're going to take a nosedive as we honorably discharge our duty to watch a film Dennis Quaid doesn't even have lines in, Stripes. In the meantime, figure out a chord progression for our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Want to advertise? DMs are open and we are whores. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? Don't make me play that McNichol singing clip again. Go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and please rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next time. My God. Oh, that's the best diarrhea medicine in the world. Mm-mm. You hear Turkey government, you forget all about diarrhea and everything. Headaches, everything. I cure anything. And I'd grab my gun and I'd tow out. It must have went a quarter of a mile. Went through a bunch of pines. And he double gobbled.